Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Good morning, Vietnam. Do you think our audience knows that line? At least one or two people. Well, hopefully. Hello, everyone. From the silent planet. Tuning in. This is Slava and Jonathan in the morning. With your top-notch favorite... Arosa News. What? Podcast. Side quest. All right, Slavis, give us the give us the rundown. How was your week? My week. My week was fairly uneventful, apart from apart from a very strange lady in the bus. Who? Oh yeah, you spent taking the bus again to work. Yeah, by all accounts, spent all day at the bus bay. And then in the afternoon was walking around all confused and disoriented. So did she get back on your bus afterward as well? Or she was just No. No, she left the commuter but the commuter lot with us, got off at the at the stop by the office, and then I I don't know where she went, but when I was back on the bus in the afternoon she was walking around the bay. So I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of her. I'm sure she has, I'm sure she has some sort of problem, disorder, her own demons to fight. Yeah, but she's a strange lady. Here's the thing, though. It sounds pretty tame compared to some of the New York and Chicago homeless folks. uh, A thousand times, a thousand times. So what you're saying is your life is boring and uninteresting because you took note of a homeless woman. Because there's nothing, because there's nothing else going on in your life. Absolutely, this is the, the, this was the the standout moment of the week. It was a nicely dressed homeless woman with three bags of laundry muttering in a in a bus bay. Wow! God bless her. Your life is fascinating. It's almost an other world experience. Nope. I'm trying to tie it into the book. I know. I got it. I got a couple good workouts in this week. It's been a while since I've like worked out, worked out, which was nice. Feels good. Going on another work trip on Monday. Down to old Dallas. Oh, old Dallas. I like Dallas. There's barbecue joints there that mm-hmm. I wouldn't say are my favorite because I, I like St. Louis and South Carolina. Barbecue above all else, but Texas has some decent barbecue joints. I... Honestly, was a little let down the first time I went down there, and the first thing I did, I left, I left the plane, and I went to whatever the most recommended joint was for barbecue, and I got it, and it was, it was not bad, but I was like, really? Was, I was expecting like melt in your mouth like butter, you know, and it was just like it was good, but I was just like, meh. 
I think the hype kind of overdid it for me because everyone's like, oh, man, you got to get yourself some brisket from the south. It's the tastiest turd on the west. Okay, I mean, it's good. I mean, it might be $2 overpriced, but like, it's good. All right, well, let's dive in. So I sold the last book. Sell us on this book. What are we reading? All right, so this book is by C.S. Lewis, a famed author of the Narnia. Sell it. Uh, you got to sell it. No, no, no. We're not going over the, the details. You're just, you know, in a world. I, oh. It doesn't have to be in a world, style. but just like sell the book, covering the nuances of text. Sell it to me like I'm a starving child who's never read a book before. Well, okay. So are you going to eat the book? <laughs> sell it to me like I'm a woman on a bus. This is why I don't go hiking. There's this guy who goes on a long hike, comes across... Two former friends, one of whom is a sociopath, apparently. They kidnap him and, on a homemade spaceship, go to a planet. And on that planet, they plan to sacrifice him to the natives, as they call them affectionately. Don't go hiking in the English countryside if you don't want to be taken to another planet. No. Unless that's your thing. Unless being stuck in a tight space with two sociopaths is your thing. Yeah. I uh interestingly enough this book just dives right in. There's no Yep. There's no build up world building. It's just like, "Oh hey, this guy's on a hike. Oh hey, these are people he used to know. Oh hey, they drugged him. Oh hey, he's on a spaceship." Very quick. Very quick. But we're going to we're going to detour a little bit to start. We're going to try something new and we're going to talk about the author today, Lewis popular author c.s lewis and then we're going to talk about the world that he built that's uh today's episode and then the next time we'll talk about the actual plot and the characters and things like that so why don't you tell us everything you know about c.s lewis he was a man and he wrote books yes he he was a man he did write books he was a professor of english literature at both oxford and cambridge he did back in the og uh, days had a two bbc shows during world war ii Wrote over 30 books, and of course he's known mostly for Chronicles of Narnia, the Space Trilogy, Mere Christianity, Surprised by Joy, and the Screwtape Letters. He was born into a religious family, uh, became an atheist at 15. He would describe himself as a paradoxical atheist. He hated God for making this world, and then he also hated God for, uh, for not being God or the, for not existing, as he, he wrote. So it's just, that's nothing new other than the sun. That's just a typical uh, atheistic angst. And, well, 15-year-olds are but, you know, atheistic angst. I miss being um, 15 when I knew everything. Yeah. Well, I don't miss being 15. 15 sucked for me. Well, 15 sucked for me, too, but, I mean, back when I knew everything was a, a brilliant time in life because I knew all the things. Yeah. Well, I still knew all the things at 23, so I'll, I'll go back to 23. At least you can drink and you're not... Although high school was fine for me. I never had the typical uh, high school experience where, you know, I was made fun of, nobody liked me, I was all alone. I mean, I had issues. At, <laughs> That's I what mean, happened I had to issues me. at home. I had issues at home. <laughs> Jackass. And I, I had my own freaking problems. So uh, Popular it was, it was school. a fun time for me. Parents hate you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you, you have loving parents, but... You know, got your ass beat every day. <laughs> I chased by the jocks. 
Just like boy. a like that fat kid from It. Did Harry Henry Bowers ever uh, you know carve his initials into your stomach with a with a pocket knife? Uh, no, but a surgeon did, and it wasn't a pocket awesome. knife. Left the scars to prove it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So all right, get get him back. So Lewis, atheist for a while, and then through the influence of J.R.R. Tolkien specifically and J.K. JK Chesterton, who was a Catholic kind of lay theologian, which actually became Lewis's moniker too. He was a layman scholar or lay scholar of the Church of England, which is Anglican. But anyway, because of Chesterton and because of Tolkien and other friends, he was brought back into the fold of Christianity. I'm quoting Lewis now, kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape. You know that he died like... 60 years ago? If not longer. No, no 60. No, no. You're no, right. 60 exactly years 60. ago. Yeah. Don't question me. I know all things. 15-year-old you me is math. still 15-year-old me is still alive and well. Uh living on the inside, hiding in the darkness, waiting to chew on your liver or something. That actually sounds pretty gross. That could be a lyric to a song that a 15-year-old would listen to. Written written by or written by a 15-year-old. <laughs> No, no, written by Amanda McKittrick Ross. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, so we're just going to switch over here to the Inklings real quick. So the Inklings, really fascinating thing. A lot of, the, not a lot of, but like a handful of books that you're familiar with. Lord of the Rings, the Chronicles of Narnia. What did Warren Lewis, not Warren Lewis, um, Charles Williams, right? He wrote that sci-fi series. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway. A lot of your favorite authors from the early 1900s, some of them, there's more books than I'm giving credit for, we used to hang out at the Bird, the Bird Pub over in Oxford, where they would meet Tuesday uh, Tuesday mornings, and they would just chit-chat and hang out and read works that they're writing, and they'd also make fun of the bad, the no, sorry, the notoriously bad prose of Amanda McKittrick Ross for as long as they could without laughing. They'd have competitions where they would like read her stuff. I lasted and, two sentences. And yeah, so Slava and I, who this, who's this person? And Slava told me that there was an article in 2013. What was it called? It was by The Guardian. It's a UK publication. And the article was titled, Is... Uh, Amanda McKittrick Amanda Ross. McKittrick Ross, the worst novelist in history. <laughs> so I guess there's at least some um, prevalence to modern day folks also thinking that she's terrible. But uh, that's not all they did. Warren Lewis, yeah. C.S. Lewis's brother, said, properly speaking, the Inklings was neither a club nor a literary society, though it partook of bo- of the nature of both. There were no rules, officers, or agendas, or formal elections, as was typical for university groups in their time. The Inklings were all male, and readings and discussions were of the members' unfinished works. Principal ones were All Hallows' Eve by Charles Williams, Out of the Silent Planet by Lewis, and Lord of the Rings by Tolkien. And they would just get together. And there's there's actually a bunch of them. In my mind, when I first heard about this when I was younger... I thought it was just like Lewis and Tolkien and like one or two other friends. But what I found out in doing a little research for this episode was actually Christopher Tolkien went to the Inklings as well for a while. And Christopher Tolkien 
is the not predecessor. Who's the person? Who's the person who takes over after you die? What's that called? The successor. Uh, the successor of the go. Tolkien Trust, and so he was put in charge of all of the books after Tolkien died. Now, in the last few years, he actually ended up releasing some works that uh, his father was working on that he never got around to, one of which was Children of Huron, which is a synthesis of sources that Tolkien had wrote. He also put out, I want to say it's Baron and Luthien. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff he would just take credit for editing because it never got finished. My understanding is that he didn't actually write anything new, which is a real bummer because when you, and I realize that this episode is about Lewis, so we'll get back to him in just a second. But when you are the successor of something as incredible as Lord of the Rings, at least give us something. Like, at least try. I don't know. Like, I'm just a little annoyed because it's it's like the kickoff world that spurred fantasy. Tolkien is like the grandfather of fantasy. And his son had the opportunity to do something for it. And... He did good things. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not badgering to badger. But I would have liked to have seen him try and write something from... Just pick... There's like thousands of years to pick from. Pick one. Just pick pick an area and then start writing from there. In in the middle. You know? Anyway. Uh, enough about my, my rants on Tolkien. Um, back yeah, so, to... Yeah, go for it. I was going to take a little side quest and read you a couple lines of Amanda McKittrick Ross. Oh, boy. To the audience. Sure, the sure. Audience yeah, yeah, yeah. Also. I get it. I get it. I get it. Here we go. Sympathize with me indeed. Ah, no. Cast your sympathy in the chill waves of troubled waters. Fling it on the osis of futurity. Dash it against the rock of gossip. Or better still, allow it to remain within the false and faithless bosom of buried scorn. It's rough. It's it's rough. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's the last line. I promise I quest over. Do not sit in silence and allow the blood that now boils in my veins to ooze through cavities of unrestrained passion and trickle down to drench me with its crimson hue. Oh, I'm done. I, I can't even, man. That wow. sounds like something that I would have wrote in freshman year. I did write that kind of stuff, I think, in freshman year. And then quickly burned it, realizing my mistake. Said, you yeah, didn't you know burn it, realizing your writing. mistake. You thought you were the shit. Yeah. I was. I had too much self-hate for, for, for me to think I was the shit. All right. Fair enough. Anyway, SideQuest over. That's uh, Amanda McKittrick-Ross, everybody. <laughs> Check her book out. Check her book out. Oof. All right. Any other thoughts on Lewis before we switch over to uh, talking about the world that he built in his sci-fi series? Well, I think we've got all of it. You know, young man, becomes atheist, becomes a scholar, becomes a Christian, writes uh, 30 books, five or six of which have a heavy influence on literature and, you know, the world. eight. Well, I'm, t- I'm talking about Narnia as... Yeah, Narnia is seven. One. Oh. Yeah, but whatever. I'm, I'm oh. counting it as a one entity. 
mm. that has seven volumes. You're and then... you're discounting it then because let's let's side quest on this. So Narnia is actually partly sci-fi as well as an unknown item where each of the books is actually based on one of the planets. So like Prince Caspian is based on Mars because Lewis enjoyed space. I'm trying to find it here for one second. So Narnia stories were designed to express the characteristics of seven medieval planets, Jupiter, Mars, Sol, Luna, Mercury, Venus, and Saturn. So interesting. Never knew that. Yeah. The first time I heard that, it was fascinating because I was like, what? Who? 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 Really? So Jupiter is the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Prince Caspian is Mars. Sol is the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Luna is the Silver Chair. Mercury, the Horse and His Boy. Venus, the Magician's Nephew. And Saturn, the Last Battle. Now, I think we could do a full episode looking at each of those. I think you told me you didn't like Narnia. Is that right? I never got into it. I didn't not not like it or hate it or whatever. It was the same thing with Dostoevsky. I don't know what that's about, but that's what it is. But if we're going to do a thing about it, I'll, I might be able to be talked into doing it. Well, yeah, we would come back to it. You know, we've got a bit of a schedule here, so we're going to do two episodes on Out of the Silent Planet. We're halfway through this one. Then we're going to dive into Dune, which is probably going to be at least four episodes, maybe six, if we can get some. I've got a couple friends who've read it and love the book, and we'd love to get them on to, to chat about it. One is my friend Jake, and then another one, Chris, so people who haven't been on before. But schedule's pending. Schedule's pending. Yeah, Dune will probably be five or six, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, that sounds about right. Anyway, so I think it'd be really fascinating, even this, and this could be one of those side episodes that we do from time to time, where we, we don't have to necessarily read all seven of the Narnia books to have this discussion, but we could do a little bit of research and dive into Lewis as an author who clearly was fascinated with the solar system, at least in some some stage. Also, for those who aren't in the know, I believe Sol, that I referenced a minute ago, is the yeah Greek sun god. So Sol would be the sun. So Voyage of the Dawn Treader would be based on the sun, just in case you didn't know that. I didn't know any of that. It's fascinating to me because it's like it's fantasy. The Chronicle of Narnia is, is, falls in the same realm as fantasy, story, fairy tales, things like that. And his inspiration came from, you know, the world around us, the the heavens above, which is just fascinating. So, Out of the Side of the Planet is sci-fi, and we've had a little bit of this discussion, but I think it's a conversation that will come up from time to time, is what makes this book sci-fi? Well, if we're going to go by the definition I found for us, sci-fi is speculative in some sense. Mm-hmm. And we talked about speculative fiction in The City in the City. In some sense, sci-fi is speculative because it says, okay, what could happen in the year 3054 if sure. humanity continues to excel and evolve technologically? And then how do how would we deal with that? And what would, we, what would the world look like? And then the author in his present time could use philosophy of his day or previous ages and grapple with what humanity would be doing in 3052, given the author's opinion on its trajectory. Right. So that's sci-fi. It speculates what would happen in the future, technologically speaking, but also involves philosophical questions. 
it's kind of a boiled down definition, in my opinion. So that's sci-fi. Here, it's sci-fi because it talks about a technology that is not known to the others around Ransom, who's a character in the book, but these two two scientists who created a spaceship and are able to, you know, space travel. So that's where the science, science fiction comes in. And there's the speculation is this Malacandra planet, which is completely different than Earth, but it has living beings who are cognitant, who create songs and poetry and boats, and they fish and they hunt, and they have societies. But their culture and their philosophy, if you will, is vastly different than the Earth's. And through that, Lewis talks about good and evil and humanity's propensity towards doing evil and being at war and being selfish. And he does touch upon very tangentially the creation who you know who creates is the you know the the god who created malachandra the god who's in charge of malachandra the the god who's in charge of earth who's he calls a bent because earth is very much bent as uh, to use the malachandrian word as compared to the society and malachandra so that's where the sci-fi comes in the, the speculative part for me do you that's all true do you remember uh the name that the Oyarsa gives God in the world? No, I don't. King of the Eldila, in opposition to Bent Oyarsa of Earth, the Nice, and the likes of Weston and Divine. So I, I also believe that this would be classified as sci-fi. I just like to pull up this question that we talked about before where, okay, the things that happen that are sci-fi here is they jump on a spaceship and they go to another planet. But otherwise, it's an adventure book on this other planet, right? We see, and the thing is, I don't feel like in the reading of this that the book slows down very much. It definitely takes a minor breath, I think, right after you land and then Ransom gets, he finds a way to escape his captors, which is a weird right. thing to do. I think that's do. a natural break. Yeah, there's, a, there's like a breath. But it's a weird thing to do when you're on another planet and you literally like, well, I can't get home. Yep. If if I'm going to give a little criticism, I think that Lewis could have put us into, he could have let us feel that a little more from Ransom and like some anxiety from Ransom. That said, Lewis, in my opinion, in his fantasy books or like his, his, his nonfiction writing, sorry, his fiction writing, he only writes one way and it's allegories. Say that again. Lewis, in his fantasy books or his non I get I always I literally have to remind myself fiction versus nonfiction. Fiction is is fantasy books, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why this is the hardest thing for me to I think there's something happened as a kid and I was traumatized by, you know, books that came after me or something. <laughs> the kids that made fun of you would throw books at you. Yeah, probably. Particularly the whole set of Chronicles of Narnia hardcover set. I've got the scars. I've got the silver scars on my hands to prove it. So his fiction books, in all of his fiction books, all he writes is allegory. Personal opinion. Narnia is an allegory. This trilogy, this sci-fi trilogy is an allegory. Yeah, that I agree with completely. So can you can you quickly just tell us, A, what an allegory is, and B, why this book is an allegory? Sure. Well, an allegory is when you use a story to 
tell another story, right? So you use a simple story to talk about more fanciful or more intellectual, more dark things. Maybe if you want to discuss evil or death, discuss something that's more beautiful, like love and the birth of children and friendship and the you know the bonds of brotherhood. You want to talk about those things. Or you want to talk about something religious, like the death and resurrection of Christ and its meaning for humanity. You put it into a fictional world like Narnia, and you discuss it by putting words into the mouth of the characters where they discuss those things within their world, the world that you built for them. And then the reader goes, oh, I can identify with, you know... Siri. Remember Siri and Warbreaker? I can identify with Siri because I went through that as a kid for me. But here it's even a little bit more intimate, if you will, where the whole story is not just a character you identify with, but the whole story is meant as a discussion of good and evil, love and war, brotherhood and betrayal, whatever, Christ, Buddha. So that's an allegory. And why this book is an allegory, because it's so fanciful. It's a sci-fi book. They go on a different planet, uh, these three guys, and Ransom is the one, he, he's the POV, right? He's the main dude. He's the protagonist. And it's him having conversations with Divine and Weston, whatever their name is, about ethical things. And then him having conversation with the Malachandran creatures, and even the Malachandran Hoyarsa, the god of the planet, talking about well, epistemology, metaphysics, and ethics, like what we all often mention, at least I do, often mention on this podcast, those are the three bedrocks of a worldview. You can't escape it. And through those three things, you have whatever you believe, why you, would re- you, you react the way you do to anything. So Ransom, through Ransom, C.S. Lewis is having conversations about the human predicament like, and the, the human propensity towards evil. And I'm sure there's more deeper conversations going on. But again, just for a cursory answer to your question, that's what's that's what's happening there. Yeah, so I'm going to expand a little bit on the allegory for this book as well. There's, It's noted that Ransom is actually based on Tolkien himself. Partly Tolkien and then partly Lewis, right? Right, so, you mentioned that. Yeah, so... Ransom himself is a philologist. Tolkien was a philologist. And a philologist, if I remember correctly, a philologist is someone who studies the history of languages, especially by looking closely at culture. Quick side quest. This is one of the reasons I love Tolkien, and I think I mentioned this in a previous... I think I mentioned it actually in the last episode, City in the City, about... Yeah, I did, because I was badgering on about the improper use of phonetically sounding words where Tolkien fought with his his publisher on dwarfs with an F versus dwarfs yeah, yeah, yeah. with he a V. Yeah, yeah, this. That's a good story. And it's just like, the editor's like, hey, changed all the words dwarfs back from dwarves. And Tolkien's like, the f*** you did. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine that sometimes Tolkien would be gangster. But he'd probably yeah. talk in an English accent because he was from Europe. That's my best yeah. English so accent. So you'd probably say like, bloody hell you did. Yeah. You, you wanker? Yeah, probably. Kick rocks, you wanker. But any, but anyway, but the the point is that you tell a guy who studies language, <laughs> you spelled your words wrong. Get out of here. And 
he's he basically if it was one one dwarf on a page like on page 34 okay he made a mistake but if yeah. every single spelling like you think it yeah that's on purpose i looked up again a lit chart which is kind of like spark notes here's what they say the themes the allegorical themes of out of the silent planet are civilization and utopia human nature and morality that's what i was talking about the the human condition propensity towards evil and then acceptance and curiosity versus freedom of the unknown. I have no idea, but okay, we'll, we'll I'll take it. There you go. Just a a quick uh, parenthetical and a period for for my uh, for my answer to your question. Yeah, I was trying to find Tolkien actually writing about the dwarves versus dwarves thing. I I can't find it though. But Tolkien did think of the dwarves as like Jews, one, uh, once in their native. An alien habitation, speaking languages of their country, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we'll get into that some other time when we actually go through and read Lord of the Rings. Anyway, I'd love that. I haven't read Lord of the Rings. I actually like The Hobbit better than Lord of the Rings. Interesting. The Hobbit's fun. In seventh and eighth grade, our teacher made us read those books. I loved them. Nice. That's awesome. I don't think that they make kids read that anymore. No, but. because the kids will cry and they're. You know, Subaru driving parents will cry and then the school will shut down. And I drive a Subaru. You know what I mean. Yeah, I'm just hassling you. Did you, because um, I was looking for this thing, did you cover the meaning of Weston and Divine? I didn't cover the character specifically. You should, though, if you, okay. if you have it up. Yeah, so Divine is a character who rep- represents the more obvious, less grandiose representation. And apparently Lewis used Latin divis or divitis which means rich and when you hear divine talk about the i don't remember what they call it in malacandra but it's gold like gold is everywhere in this in this world and divine just wants to bring it back because he represents greed and the criticisms of the west and how everyone needs to just kind of like bring this stuff back for their own benefit and then weston who <laughs> this to me is just the funniest thing which is why i had this thought of like well Lewis only writes allegories, is Dr. Weston represents, drumroll please, the West. <laughs> Western culture. <laughs> it's fascinating. Just just thrilling. Um, That's me still clapping. Thank you. <laughs> culture of imperialist, capitalist, individualistic glory. He doesn't act for his own material interest. He does, however, react and, and interact as a modern trend of supposed utilitarianism from the world of academia and industry. And you see this near the end of the book as well. And we'll get into the plot next time, but where he's like me, big bad man, you, I bring worse big bad man and come and he just talks to these people like they're idiots. And it's just like, bro, they have very a culture. Elitist. Yeah. Like yeah. this is, you, this is embarrassing for you. Like, I don't feel bad for them at all. This is just embarrassing. And the thing is, someone like an Oyarsa, which for conversational purposes is the archangel over the planet, right, of Malacandra. Yeah. Someone with that level of power is not threatened by your talk of guns and whatever else. He's the friggin' archangel over the planet. He lives in a different realm and has way more power. He's not concerned about whatever you're threatening. Not at all. Yeah. Anyway. Because he... yeah, because he, he looks like a child. Because he less you know, than talks, a child, he looks like a dog or or a or puppy, yeah. a puppy. And and that scene that you're talking about, he's talking to the uh, Oyarsa, and he's talking to the Malacandrian creatures, 
and he's he does what in like stereotypical comedy skits or even yuck, sometimes yuck, in real yuck, life. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yeah, yeah, he's talking like that because he literally thinks they are lesser beings, so he has to talk in short bursts and elongate his words because, hey, they're native, so they're dumb. And I'm a white Westerner from the UK who's built a spaceship, so F these people. And I'm going to talk about bang bang and my bang bang stick, like, or whatever he says when referring to his gun, boomstick, I think. And yeah, he, he's an ass. <laughs> yeah, just ridiculous. But this is where all this side quest to say, this is where my comment that Lewis only writes allegories comes from is I can't think of a book that he wrote that was a story that wasn't an allegory. I mean, Screw Tape Letters, same thing, which that one's a little more. Yeah, well, Screw Tape Letters, that's more straightforward. Yeah, yeah, it's more explicit. But Narnia, like Aslan is Jesus, period. That's that's the way that it works. So a line, the line of Judah. Yeah, we Yeah. We get it. Yep. Yep, yep. Anyway, final thoughts, let's land this plane and uh next time we'll dive into the plot and the characters more on out of the silent planet. Usually we digress into lunacy by the end of the the hour, but we covered it well. Got a few side quests in. Lewis is a fantastic writer. He keeps you interested. I love that about him, whether it's mere Christianity or screw tape letters or this. Except Narnia, I guess, because but <laughs> we'll get there. Because uh, <laughs> you're a horrible person who hates good literature. Because I'm up. Go read McKittridge. Yeah. That's going to be your punishment. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, no, I don't want to read read McKittridge. Because even the name of the book sucks. It's, the name of the book is Irene Idelsai. Sounds thrilling. I think Lewis did a good job. I really like this trilogy. The third book I haven't finished yet. Interestingly enough, I also had trouble with the third book where it feels like, and at some point I'm going to just have to to muddle through it the same way I muddled through Crime and Punishment. Ransom starts going off about obscure in-world philosophy, and it's just like, okay, I think, okay, it's fine. So I don't know how it ends. I really have no idea. The first two books are amazing, and that's it. Next time we will talk plot and world. Plot and characters. Plot I mean, and world characters. Too. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let us know in the comments. Uh, have you read Out of the Silent Planet? Have you enjoyed it? Do you like Lewis? Do you not like Lewis? Is he? Do you scourge all the earth that he walked on? You know, the basics. Hit us up on YouTube yeah. or TikTok. We're really inconsistent on posting on both of them. So, you know, let us know that you are the internet and you do the yeah. things. Do you like Lewis? Hate God because he doesn't exist? <laughs> and hate There's a lot God of passion. It, interestingly, just a final note on atheism because you... You prompted it. It's so fascinating to me that atheists are so devout in their hatred of this being that they say don't exist. We don't have to go down this road, but just like, it's fascinating to me. That is what it is. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. Anyway, that was the yeah. episode. Uh, side quest. Out. Goodbye, good people.